Would you stand with me and let's read God's Word together. This morning, the theme for our New Year's message is Stages of Spiritual Growth from the Apostle John. I'd like to read together in unison 1 John 2, 12-14. Would you join me as we read this together and then we'll ask God's blessing on our study. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we are seeing one year come to a close. And we are also seeing a new, fresh year, full of your mercy and grace, open before us. And it's fitting this morning, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and as your children, that we would gather around Your Word and take it to heart. Indeed, we come this morning to Your Word, the Spirit-inspired, sufficient, inerrant, authoritative, glorious Word of God. May we receive it humbly. May we be scrutinized by Your Word. May we be assured by it. May we be exhorted and encouraged by it. Father, as we consider Your will for us in our spiritual progress. Work in us to will and to work according to Your good pleasure. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I believe that spiritual evaluation is a very important practice in the Christian life. I think it should be a regular practice for each one of us. Look back and see how have I been doing in Christ? What is God doing in my life? How is He working in me? Where is God taking me? To allow our lives to be examined under the microscope of God's Word is a good thing. It's not always pleasant, but it's good. And we have a freedom to do that in Christ because we know We're forgiven. And we have all the grace that we need through the Holy Spirit to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. The turn of a year can be a good time for that kind of scrutiny. It is a natural time in which we look back on a previous year and we can ask, how have I grown in Christ? I hope you're beginning to do that. How have I grown in Christ? We can look back on that year and ask those kinds of questions and even look ahead to the next year and and prayerfully desire more growth in Christ. I hope that sort of mindset is upon you. What has God done in my heart over these last 365 days? Am I changing? Am I progressing? Am I growing? Like Peter says, am I growing in the grace and the knowledge of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? What do I hope and pray that God will do in my life in the year to come? 
And so this morning, I'd like to do that kind of self-evaluation together. I think it's fitting. It's New Year's Eve, and we have this wonderful privilege. I think, I think Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve should be every, always on a Sunday. Wouldn't that be great? And we can gather together like this and, and have this kind of perspective. And I'd like to receive the help of the Holy Spirit this morning from this text. And as John pens by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can look to these verses, 1 John 2, 14-24, to help us. <coughs> the main purpose of the, gospel of, or the uh, epistle of John can be found in the many times he writes something like, these things I am writing to you, so that. These things I am writing to you. You could do a little search through the epistle of John and find many times where he says, I am writing to you this because. But look specifically, and it kind of culminates at the very last chapter of the epistle of John, 1 John 5 and verse 13. Would you look there for, with me for just a moment? This is what we can consider the central purpose of the letter of John, the epistle, the first epistle of John. He says in 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. It's presumed in that phrase that the readers of the epistle have already read John's Gospel. Remember the purpose of John's Gospel. These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing you would have life in His name. So if you have come to, to know the Gospel-saving grace of Jesus Christ through the Gospel, through John's Gospel even, then you can take this next step of spiritual growth and look at John's letter and say, well, how can I know that I have eternal life? These things he writes to you, verse 13, who have already believed in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's that's part of the early struggle of, of growing in Christ is, am I really a child of God? Are my sins truly forgiven? Can I be lost? How do I know? How do I know if I'm a real child of God? And so, John takes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes many words in these five chapters to show many proofs. If you're a child of God, if you're born from above, you will see moral proofs. You will see relational proofs. You will see doctrinal proofs begin to grow out of your life. You know that you are born of God when you see things happening in your life that only God can bring about. And that's what John shows you. Moral change. Where he talks about I, I, you begin to love righteousness rather than sin. There's relational change. You begin to love others instead of living on and on in selfishness. Doctrinal proofs. You know and confess the truth about Jesus Christ and His person and work. And John spirals through those different proofs again and again throughout his five chapters. And so this letter as a whole is written to assure those who have believed in Christ that they are children of God. And so even the text that we're looking at this morning, 1 John 2, 12-14, is to be an assurance to us. A test. Do I see these phases, stages of spiritual growth happening in my life? Do I see spiritual life? If you do, then you can be assured 
that you have eternal life. Because that's God's work. You can't manufacture those kinds of things. But also, all of these texts, including the one we're looking at today, is, goes beyond assurance to become an exhortation to us. Because we look at these assurances and we say, yes, I see some of them, and, and, and I'm, I think I'm growing in them, and yet there's so many that are in such infantile form. I have so far to go, and so that can kind of shake us a bit and say, boy, I'm, I'm not what I was, but I'm certainly not what I want to be. And so with these proofs and assurances that John gives us, comes an exhortation to excel still more. How many of us can say, yes, I have begun to hate my sin and love righteousness, but I am certainly still struggling. You see what I mean? And so in that proof, we're assured, but we're also exhorted. So there's assurance that comes to us, but there's exhortation to grow. And in fact, the apostles write like this often. You see a text, for example, like, 2 Peter 1, 3-11, where the Apostle Peter says, well, you've been given everything you need in the knowledge of Christ to grow, and so now add to your faith virtue into virtue, knowledge into knowledge, temperance, and so on. And he gives you an exhortation with assurance to grow in Christ. So texts like this call us to look back at our growth in Christ even over this last year. Have we develop in our knowledge of Christ. Have you grown in your knowledge of Christ this past year? Has your trust in the promises of God deepened? Has your love for others blossomed? Has your has godliness in your conduct grown through conviction of sin? Confession of sin, conflict with sin, and even counseling or discipleship and growth through sin and temptation. Have you seen that happen in your life? Have you done some spiritual battling by the grace which God provides? Have you grown in your communion with Christ through prayer and Bible reading? Now, where will Christ lead you in this year to come? Where do you anticipate Him growing you? Where do you long for Him to grow you? The main point of this particular text that we'll look at is this. Be assured, first of all, be assured of your eternal life in Christ and then exhorted to enjoy increasing growth. Our text this morning is a very interesting text because it's repetitive. Did you notice that? It's almost like John says the same thing twice. I am writing to you. Little children, I am writing to you, fathers, I am writing to you, young men. And then he says the same thing over again with some variation. I am writing to you, children, I am writing to you, fathers, I am writing to you, young men. It's, there are many commentators that discuss this and there's really no settled answers to why John repeats this. Maybe, maybe it's because he wants them to know that he's already written to them about these things previously. And he wants to write them about it again, that these matters of spiritual growth are worth repeating and worth remembering and reminding each other over. But also, it could be because it's important. He's emphatic here. Growth in Christ is essential. And what we see here is three stages of spiritual 
growth. And I'm going to take them in the order that John gives them. Number one, we'll call it the stage of infancy. Verses 12 to 13. He says, I'm writing to you, little children. He says it again at the end of verse 13. I'm writing to you, children. Children. And there is some difference in what he has to say. There's, there's two assurances that he gives children. And I don't, he's calling his congregations little children as a whole. So what Paul is referring to may or may not have anything to do with your physical earthly age. It has everything to do with your spiritual development in Christ. Little children. Little children. Those who are early on in their walk with Christ. And certainly a stage in which every believer must be in at one point or another in their lives. What are the two assurances that Paul, I mean that John wants to give to the little children? The first one, look at it. In verse verse 12, I am writing to you little children, why? Because your sins are forgiven. That is the primary assurance, the first baby steps of someone who begins to believe in Jesus Christ. Are my sins forgiven? Letter A, assurance of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the precious and permanent possession of every child of God. The verbs that that John uses here are emphatic. Because your sins might be forgiven if... No, he says what? Because your sins, what? Are forgiven. Our Father desires that every one of His children hold forgiveness as their confident assurance. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. That's an essential aspect to the first stage of spiritual growth forgiveness i love that word for forgiveness there forgiveness it means to send something away it's great to send it away god in forgiving his children has sent away your offenses from you he sent them away He has sent away your punishment from you. And He sent it away from His sight. It's gone. It's gone from you. It's gone from before His sight. Think of texts like Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. right, And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And... Forget not all his benefits. Who what? Forgives all your iniquity. All your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. Listen, He does not deal with us 
according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. Listen, as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Forgiveness. John writes to the little ones in the faith because they're forgiven. If they have believed in the name of the Son of God, they are forgiven. Isaiah 43, verses 24 and 25. He has sent their sins away. He has sent the punishment away. 43, verses 24 and 25. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, God says to His children. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Catch the impact of that verse. Your sins are not sent away from God's sight by your offerings, by your doings, by your compensations, by your efforts, by your performance, by your good works. Only our sins burden Him. We're wearying God with our iniquities. But then verse 25, He says, I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. That's forgiveness. That's forgiveness. Or Micah 7 and verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. John says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven. So how can the Father forgive His sinful little children like that? How can He just cast their sins away and remember them no more? And cast away their punishment. You see, He sent our offenses away and He sent their punishments away by laying them on His own beloved Son. That's how He can forgive. God is not unjust to forgive us by just overlooking our sins. No, He is just in His forgiveness of us because He has dealt with our sin and our guilt and our punishment in the body of Jesus on the cross. Look just in the same chapter of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have someone who is defending us before God the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the one who is sinless. Who kept all of God's laws perfectly. Who bore in His body then our sin upon the cross. That's verse 2. He is the propitiation. He is the one who appeased God's wrath against our sin. That's propitiation. Satisfying the legal demands and the anger of God against our sin. He satisfied it. He quieted it. How did He do that? He bore it on the cross. 
and fulfilled all of the demands for atonement on the cross. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is how we can be forgiven. We have a righteous defender and we have a perfect propitiator, an atonement, Jesus Christ. So then what is the basis for the assurance of that forgiveness? Upon what basis do you know then for certain that you have fled? For, or how, do you, how do you know upon what basis for certain that you're forgiven if you have fled for refuge to Christ by faith? How do you know you're forgiven? What does he say here? You're forgiven what? Because of what? His namesake. Now there is your confidence. The little child who rests in Christ can be assured that they are forgiveness because of God's namesake. In other words, not because of your works. You do not have settled assurance that you are forgiven with God because of anything about you. Not your works. Not your religious knowledge. That doesn't give you assurance. That's not the basis that you are certainly forgiven or your experiences, your religious experience, mystical experience. No ritual that you participated in, no church that you attend, no moral performance, no prayer that you prayed, no decision you made, not even speaking in tongues. None of that gives you a sense of assurance that you're forgiven. There's only one thing that you can have as a rock-solid basis. I am forgiven. And I know it. Why? Because of His namesake. What is that? His character. God said that He would be faithful and righteous to forgive all who confess their sin and trust in Christ. Look at what it says. I'll back up in verse 9. If we confess, chapter 1, verse 9 of 1 John, if we confess our sins, He is what? He is faithful. He is dependable. His character guarantees that all who make good on His promise to trust in Christ are forgiven. You see, what we have to learn as little children in this first phase of spiritual growth, we have to learn to look away from ourselves for assurance of these things. We have to look to our Father and His promise. We have to look to Christ and His perfect work in our behalf. Then we will be assured. Until then, we'll be shaking for His namesake. It's His character. It's His work. It's His authority that says you're forgiven. It's His word. It's His promise. And it's His reputation at stake, isn't it? Why does He forgive you? Ultimately, for the glory of His name. So has the glory of the Son as Savior and Lord been revealed to you? Do you see Him as your only Savior? Have you confessed your sin and inability to save yourself to your Heavenly Father? Have you believed upon the Son as your only righteousness before God and as your only atonement for sin? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And God's promise to you is that you are a forgiven child of God. Though you may still struggle with many remaining indwelling sins. Yes. Newborn, infant, toddling children of God are no less children of God than mature ones. Right? Still real children of God on the basis of His name and the work of Christ. 
Newborn, infant, and toddling children of God are given just as much assurance of forgiveness of sin as God's mature children. Because forgiveness is given, it's secured, it's promised, not on the basis of any qualifying quality in the child, but because of his namesake. Take that in. Rest on that. So are you a child of God? Are you in the infant stage of spiritual growth? Are you? It's a good stage to be in. Are you assured then that you are forgiven? Have you come to this assurance in years gone by, or maybe even this last year? Are you in this stage of growth? Or have you yet to gain that assurance as a child of God? That can take some time in coming. But keep pursuing it by looking to the glory of God and the person and work of Jesus Christ and his precious promises. Where are you with respect to this first stage of spiritual growth? John writes this little, this children because their sins are forgiven and they can be assured of that. There's another assurance that comes along with forgiveness that John gives to the infant children of God. Notice what it is then in verse 13 in the very last phrase. I write to you children because you know the Father. Because you know the Father. From this very moment that God births a child into his family, I think I'm running out of batteries. I don't know if uh, someone could run there right in, right in the office. Um, from the very moment that God births a child into his family, that child is completely eternally forgiven. John establishes that right in verse 12. And, and with the freedom and peace of forgiveness that, that comes there comes this confidence then and joy of knowing that God is a father to you. That's a new relationship begun in this infancy stage of Christian growth. It's part of the infancy stage of spiritual growth. Just as a baby born to the world begins to recognize the sound of his parents' voice, the look of his parents' faces, the feel of their touch, the, the smell of their clothes, and runs to them with confidence and a sense of security and joy, so the children of God begin to know God is their Father and, and run to Him. Thank you, Brandon. To commune with Him and confidence. And Test. There we go. Thank you. If God has so graciously worked spiritual life in your heart that you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then God has given you the right to call Him Father. God, Creator, Sustainer, is your Father. You call Him Father? Do you know Him as your Father? It's precious. Every sinner who receives God's Son by the transforming power of the new birth is given the royal right to call God Father. That's what John 
1, 12, and 13 says, but as many as what? received him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, it's not a human thing, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but those who are born of what? Born of God. That newborn child is now adopted by the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and like Him, may call upon God as Father. In fact, if you look up that precious word, that Aramaic title for God the Father, Abba, A-B-B-A, you look that up in the New Testament, it's only used three times. The first time is Mark 14, 36, where Jesus is praying to His Father, calling Him Abba, Father. And do you remember the other two times? Romans 8.15, where Paul teaches believers that they are no longer given a spirit of fear, again, a spirit of slavery again to the fear, but a spirit of adoption whereby we, like Jesus the Son, call out to God and call Him what? Abba, Father. Or Galatians 4.6, the Spirit so works in us that we cry out, Abba, Father. If you're born of God, you may confidently call God Father. You may speak to Him in prayer as your very own Father in any time of need, in a moment of joy and quiet worship. Think of how we are invited by the Son of God to call God Father. Matthew 6, 9-13, the Lord's Prayer. How are we to begin that prayer? Our Father who is in heaven. Or Matthew 6, 23-33, where we are to, to look to the Father for even earthly needs, knowing that He knows what we need even before we ask for it. Or Matthew 7, 7-11, through 11, as we're invited by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount to ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it'll be open. And how we are to come to the Father asking, and He as a good Father delights to give good things to those who ask. So do you know and enjoy God as your Father? This is, this is part of the first stage of spiritual growth. You have confidence that you are His adopted and beloved child. Do you daily speak with God as your Father? Have you grown bold and confident to run before His throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in any time of need? Does your heart long to commune with your Father in the Word and in prayer? Have you entered and grown into this first stage of spiritual growth? I'm calling it the stage of infancy. It's a precious time of growth. You enjoying those blessings and assurances of this infancy stage? God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ wants you, if you're a child of God, by faith in Jesus Christ, to be assured of your forgiveness. Hear that. He wants you to be assured of your forgiveness and assured of God as your Father. Grow into and enjoy these assurances more and more. So how have you grown over this last year? Are you in this phase? Are you a child of God who has come into and grown up in this first stage? I remember during my teen years and early college days, oh, did I struggle in this phase of growth. How I struggled to, to really gain footing in knowing that my sins were forgiven. For years I struggled. It took a while before my Heavenly Father settled my heart into a deep and abiding assurance that I am forgiven and a true Son of the Father. And God did this to me through various means. And maybe 
this will ring true with you as well. He, God brought that, these assurances of infancy to my heart by, one, a change in my spiritual community. He moved me from a poor Bible teaching community and a man-centered doctrine to solid Bible teaching and God-centered doctrine. You can't get very far spiritually if what you're hearing is not the truth of God's Word. It will keep you floundering sometimes in infancy. That was me. That was me. Specifically, God brought me through that by the exposition of the Gospel of Matthew. I needed to hear about the sovereignty of Jesus as my King and Savior. That pulled me through. My eyes were opened. And I gained assurance. I, I, it took for me a focused reading of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which focused my spiritual eyes on the person and work of Jesus Christ and away from myself so that I could see His sovereign saving glory like I had never seen before. And on our Father, through His powerful Spirit, through all of that, assured my heart in forgiveness and sonship. And that's a great delight, both to the Father and to His children. Have you had that experience? Are you assured of your forgiveness? And are you growing in your delight of being a son or daughter of the Father? If you're not yet a child of God this morning, this is the stage of spiritual growth that you need to ask for by faith in Christ. And by wholeheartedly pursuing a knowledge of the Gospel, by reading and studying the Bible with someone who already is a child of God. Pursue it. Do you want to be a child of God? Get to know Jesus Christ. Become His disciple. If you're a child of God and you struggle regularly with assurance that you're forgiven in this stage of spiritual growth, then you need to focus on that this year. Asking God to grow you up in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in the knowledge of the Gospel, in the promises of God as your Father. Ask someone to help you. Don't be, a shy of, don't be ashamed or shy of that. Ask someone to help you and disciple you in this first stage of spiritual growth. Gain these assurances. And always remember something, dear ones. Listen. As you're making your way through these spiritual progresses, don't wait for a mentor to approach you. Don't wait for a disciple maker to come to you. If you're hungry to know God's Word, and eager to grow in Christ, the initiative of discipleship rests upon you, upon the disciple. You need to learn to ask the question, will you disciple me in these things? I need to know. I need help. I need guidance. What does God say about these things? And then you must be committed to that. Make yourself available for what is most important. And if you're a child of God and God has kindly, graciously granted to you the, the precious assurances of infancy and you've grown up into this and passed this stage, then be filled with an overwhelming sense of assurance that you're a child of God. Gratitude, joy, peace. Humble gratitude in Christ. And press on to the next stage of spiritual growth. <clears throat> be assured of your eternal life in Christ and exhorted to enjoy increasing growth. growth. Let's, let's notice the second stage that, that John refers to here in this text. Number two, the stage of maturity. Verses 13 and 14. He says, I'm writing to you fathers. 
I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And then again, beginning of verse 14, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. John seems to move next, not to the intermediate stage of spiritual growth, but to then the most advanced stage, if you can say that, of spiritual growth. He goes from infancy to number two, maturity. He addresses those in this spiritual stage by the titles, by the title fathers. I'm writing to you, fathers. John calls them fathers, I think, because first of all, and you can see in your outline, letter A, they have wisdom. In the stage of spiritual growth, in this stage of spiritual growth, believers have a deep and seasoned wisdom that comes from what? What he says, because you know him who is from the beginning. Same thing, verse 14, again, because you know him who is from the beginning. Who is John referring to? Him who is from the beginning. Well, we have but to look one chapter back. John, 1 John chapter 1, look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Uh Aha, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Who is John talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. The one from the beginning, the one that they touched and heard and saw and handled. These years that John and the other apostles spent on the earth with the incarnate Christ, the eternal one, the one who is the Word made flesh, the one who was God and is with God, who created all things, and without Him nothing was made that was made. This is the one who is from the beginning. The Lord Jesus Christ. Mature believers are mature Because they have, by God's grace, continued to intensely pursue the knowledge of the greatest, most amazing, most glorious, most awe-inspiring person in the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. By the illumining presence of the Holy Spirit opening the Word of Christ to them, they have had their eyes open to the knowledge, the understanding, the treasures of wisdom found only in the glory and majesty of of the person of Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus promised in John 16, 13 through 15, they have been guided into all the truth by the helper. And they have been given the privilege of the things of God being revealed to them. They have had Christ glorified to them in the word by the Holy Spirit. And they have grown deep and wide in the knowledge of Christ. But notice, their knowledge of Christ is not just intellectual. Not just facts about Jesus. 
They haven't just opened a theology book, read it, and felt good about themselves. No, their knowledge of Christ is embedded into their desires, affections, pleasures, interests, responses, attitudes, words, their thoughts, and even their character. The knowledge of Christ has formed in them. Christ Himself and His likeness has been formed in them one trial at a time over many years, one day at a time of faithful walking in the Word, one day at a time of faithful gathering with other believers for prayer and discipleship and worship, one day at a time being led by the Holy Spirit. This knowledge of the One who is from the beginning is great, and it's experiential, it's, it's intimate, it's deep, it's transforming, it's shaping. But this knowledge, of course, is also progressive. You don't come to an end of it, in fact. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? Knowing Christ and knowing more and more and being shaped by Him in His glory will never end. Never. Never end. There's always more. Each new... Imagine... Imagine being served a new meal every day, one you've never eaten before. And each new meal is better than the previous day's meal. That's, that's what it is to know Christ. There is new for eternity. And each new aspect of the glory of Christ is better than what you could imagine. It's glorious. It's deep, ongoing, unending, because after all, they have known these mature believers and are continuing to know the one who is from the beginning. The eternal one, the infinite one, the unsearchable one, the inscrutable one. Knowing Christ in truth is an eternal pursuit of increasing wonder, love, joy, delight, amazement, and praise. And of course, Jesus said, the definition of eternal life is to know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Those who are in this mature stage of spiritual growth are certainly enjoying the blessings of eternal life and their joy in knowing Christ will never end. That kind of knowledge of Christ comes to the mature stage of spiritual growth. And again, growth. And again I don't think this, is, this knowledge isn't, please don't think this knowledge isn't practical. Indeed it is. For it is knowing the one who is from the beginning that makes these mature believers mature in their thinking about moral decisions. 1 Corinthians 14.20 They're mature in their thinking about moral decisions. They are mature in their Christ-likeness as they minister in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.13 They're mature in their ability to forget what lies behind them and to give themselves to worthy pursuits, Philippians 3.15. They're mature in their grasp of the gospel and their trust in Christ, Colossians 1.28. They're mature in their assurance of God's will for their lives, Colossians 4.12. They're mature in the Word, in their knowledge of the Word, their interpretation and exercise of the Word, and they're mature in sound doctrine, 1 Timothy 4.6. They're mature in their discernment and are ready to teach others. Hebrews 5.14 They have matured through an understanding of repentance and faith and even they've learned to reject self-righteousness. Hebrews 
And so John says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Maybe we can think of it this way. An elderly, mature, married couple is deep and thick with each other, right? They can finish each other's sentences. They know what each other wants for breakfast before they ask. They know what they're going to give to each other for Christmas, and nobody has to say a word. And They just know. They know each other. Everything, everything. And we laugh about these things too. But it's wonderful, isn't it? Nobody has to say a word, and you know each other. You know each other well. Well, maybe that's a little bit the way it is with the mature believer in Christ. They know how he thinks. They think like he does. They talk like he does. They desire like he does. They love like he does. They walk like he does. In fact, isn't that what the text says? 1 John 2, 4-6, through Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Have you come to know this stage of spiritual growth? Are you a mature father or mother in Christ? We'll come back to those questions in a moment. John also calls believers in this stage of spiritual growth fathers, I think, because I think because they continue to pursue and gain and enjoy the knowledge of the infinite one also so that they pass on their knowledge to others. So letter A is wisdom. Letter B in your outlines, they're mentors. It's something that seems inherent to me in the, in the little title father is reproduction, right? Spiritual reproduction. You're not a father unless you produce a child. That's the definition of fatherhood. Or you've adopted one. And that desire and capacity for discipling and mentoring and reproducing other disciples of Christ through person-to-person teaching and study and meditation and accountability and prayer is an essential aspect of this mature stage of spiritual life. Hence, John calls them what? Fathers. They're fathers. In fact, It is the natural overflow of avidly pursuing the knowledge of the one who is from the beginning. Here's how the progression unfolds as I see it. The Holy Spirit places within your heart an insatiable desire to know Christ through the study of the word and prayer, both privately and publicly. When there's a study, you're there. You've got to know Christ. The Holy Spirit then reveals to you the glory of Christ through the word of God so that you're convicted and changed and amazed, and thrilled, and stirred, and then overflowing. Is that how it works? You take it in, and you're like, "Ah, I've got to overflow. The Holy Spirit so stirs you then with the knowledge of Christ that you have to tell someone else. You have to tell others what you've seen. The Gospel. The Holy Spirit changes your life through your exposure to the glory of Christ so that your life becomes Evidence that Christ indeed is known to you. And then both your passion and desire to tell others what you are learning and seeing combined with the Christ-like change that is happening in your life draws you to others and others to you for discipleship. And you find yourself becoming more and more committed and available and devoted to knowing Christ 
and making Christ known to disciples, and it becomes your chief delight. This is the description of the mature stage of spiritual growth. The wisdom of Christ and mentoring people in Christ. It's the advanced stage. Now, look back over the last year, dear ones. Are you in this stage of spiritual growth? Have you been developing in this stage? Is Christ drawing you to advance into maturity? This maturing must be the pursuit of every child of God. John recommends it to us. And moving into that stage is certainly an assurance of eternal life. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Considering that verse, what have you pursued over the last year? In what do you boast from 2023? Increased wisdom in some worldly pursuit? Increased physical strength and health? Increased earthly wealth? Or have you increased in those things which God, in which God delights? Understanding and knowing Him, who He is, what He's like, what He does, and becoming like Him. What is your boast? Where is your growth over the last year? I challenge you in this year, 2024, by God's grace, make those things in which God delights your primary pursuit by His grace. Move on to the next stage of spiritual growth. Move on to maturity. And again, what a glorious assurance to you if you see that Christ has graciously brought you into the stage of spiritual growth. Give thanks. Let your heart be filled with humble worship. God lives in you. Give thanks to your Savior Shepherd and excel still more, remembering that you are on the way of knowing Him who is from the beginning. Be assured of your eternal life in Christ and exhorted to enjoy increasing growth. Finally, this morning, number three, the third stage of spiritual growth that the Apostle John describes we'll call the stage of, number three, vivacity. Vivacity. He says at the end, well, in the middle of verse 13, don't be confused by the verse numbers here. Just keep, keep the titles in mind. He talks to little children. He talks to fathers. And then he talks what he calls young men. Back to children, to fathers, and then again to young men. Look what he says to this group called young men. He says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And the end of verse 14, I write to you, young men, because... There's three things here. You are strong. The word of God abides in you. And again, you have overcome the evil one. There's really three points with this. You are strong. The word of God abides in you. You have overcome the evil one. He says that twice. John refers to this next stage of spiritual growth by the title Young Men. And I think... John calls this middle stage of spiritual growth by that title because there's a great energy, a great activity, a great wrestling, and a great vigor about this stage, certainly all of which is supplied by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
Notice the two phrases that describe this stage, and we did. In the second phrase, the description in the phrase is repeated, and then two additional descriptions are added. You see that, overcome the evil one in the first phrase, but then he adds, you're strong, and the word of God abides in you in the second phrase. So it's filled out, the description's filled out a little bit. This stage of spiritual growth seems to be the intermediate stage. Children, young men, fathers. And the, phrase of, the phase of growth between infancy and maturity is we're calling this stage of vivacity. So first of all, John describes this stage as one of, letter A, vigor or strength. Vigor or strength. You are strong. There's a lot of, there's a lot of energy that goes into this particular stage. And there is a growth in strength by God's work. When you, when you come out of that first stage of, I'm forgiven. God is my Father. Then it's like you go to this next stage of a lot of spiritual warfare, <laughs> in a way. You, you're, you're looking, what you're trying to sort the difference between sin and righteousness. Now what's right and what's wrong here in this situation? And God, through His work within your heart, begins you to grow strong in righteousness. Sin is being confessed and cast away, little by little. Not that you won't have periods of struggle, but that's your fight. That's what God is doing in you. He's overcoming sin in you. You're wrestling between truth and error. You're learning what's truth and what's not about Christ, about the church, about God Himself, about the Holy Spirit, about the gospel, and on and on it goes. And you're growing strong in the truth. That's what God is doing in this phase. You're you're wrestling between selfishness and love. You begin to see more and more clearly how so much of what you've done over your life has been done out of selfishness. And you're grieved by it. And you confess it. And then day by day, you begin to fight in the power of the Spirit to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and so on. The fruits of love. You're beginning to see the difference between worldliness and godliness in so many aspects of your life. And you're fighting in the strength which God supplies to, to grow in godliness. And you're growing strong. You know what it is in this phase to be disciplined by God. Trained by your Father. Painful, yes, but also productive of righteousness. You've hit difficult trials and you're struggling through them. It's like you're, you're taking your boat and you're turning it around by the grace of God and now you're rowing upstream and it's a fight. And by the grace of God, you're strong. You're strong and you're growing in this. You've grown stronger in holiness. That's what, that's what John's saying here. You're, you're, your trust in Christ deepens and is strengthens, strengthened. This is the spiritual stage of much battle, much plowing, amputating, running, all by the grace that God supplies through the Spirit of Christ. It's like what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.12, flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, holiness, faith, and love with those who call on God from a pure heart. Fight the good fight of the faith. Lay hold of eternal life. That's this phase. You're fighting to grow in Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.3-6 speaks of casting down the strongholds and imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ so that your obedience in Christ is proven. Or Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, which speaks of standing strong in the strength of the Lord and His might, and putting on the armor of God and battling with the 
with the Word of God and the, and the resources of God's weaponry. But what is it that gives the vivacious believer, that young man, strength to fight and grow strong in righteousness and Christlikeness? What is it? The Word of God. Hear this well from the Apostle John. You are strong and what? And the Word of God abides in you. Please notice, it is not just that the Word of God is there. It's not sitting on a shelf nearby. It's not glanced at from time to time. It's not carried in the hand on the way to church. It's not referred to when someone else is talking about it. It's not picked up for an occasional conversation. What is this growing, fighting, strong believer by God's grace? What is their relationship to the Word? The Word of God abides in you. You hear that? Let that sink in. Is the Word of God abiding in you? What does that mean? It lives in you. It remains in you. It's resident in your thinking. It's a ruling presence in your life. It is the indwelling governor of your existence. It's abiding in you. Colossians 3.16 Paul writes, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What is the Word of God but food for strength? In every aspect of spiritual life, the Word of God ingested and absorbed in the mind, heart, and the character of the believer is the strength for the spiritual life by the inner working of the Holy Spirit. It's the instrument of victory over sin. Casts down error by truth. The Word of God casts down error by its truth. The Word of God exposes sinful, deceptive pleasures by true, eternal pleasures. The Word of God exposes foolishness by its wisdom. It it, it eliminates and pushes out doubt by its assurances. It kills despair by its encouragements. It lifts up hopelessness by its promises. Indeed, how did Jesus Christ, the God-man, overcome the strongest of Satan's temptations? Was it not by the Word of God abiding in Him? You will never, listen, listen, you will never grow strong as a believer and overcome the practice of specific sins in your life without the Word of God abiding in your soul. Impossible. Impossible. We have no resources of our own. It's the Word of God abiding in us, that Word that creates life out of nothing, that raised the dead, that creates all things and sustains all things by its power. It's this Word, the Word of God abiding in you. It will create new life powerfully within you. But notice that John says, look at what he says is the result of the Word abiding in you. You are strong, And the word of God abides in you. And what? You have overcome the evil one. Oh, what a glorious phrase. The evil one, the wicked one, Satan, and his temptations to sin will be overcome in your life through the strength that God supplies and the abiding presence of God's word. 
you will know a growing, here's what he's saying, you'll know a growing practical victory over your sin, over yourself, Satan, and the world. There is a, there's a positional victory. Let's, let's talk about that for just a moment. There's a positional overcoming that is yours already by virtue of your union with Jesus Christ because He has overcome the world. He said that. John chapter 16, the very last verse. There is a final victory. There's a final overcoming that is already yours by virtue of the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jeremy spoke on that, that completed sanctification. So you've got bookends around your life. You are victorious because of your union with Christ. You are justified. You are overcoming the evil one and victorious because at the end of your your walk here on earth, you will be glorified. And that is immovable. You will overcome. But in between those two bookends is a life of grace. There's a practical overcoming that is guaranteed by your two other overcomings. That in between one where you are daily living out your experience of life in Christ. And, and so there is this overcoming that you must live for and fight for and work out hour by hour, day by day, by the grace of God, through the Spirit of Christ and the Word of God and the blood of the Lamb. This is the overcoming that John is talking about in these verses. It's an overcoming that takes place by faith in Christ and confidence in His Word and His promises. You're overcoming sin, the practice of sin. You're overcoming temptation. You're overcoming the propensities of your fallen humanness. Did you know that John uses this word overcome more than, way more than any other New Testament writer? Look at, look at the rest of the usages in John, in 1 John. Look at 1 John 4, <clears throat> verses 1 through 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. You see, you are overcoming because the one, the Spirit of Christ within you is greater than the spirit of the evil one in the world. Look at verse chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. And this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, your overcoming in Christ is absolutely certain. Absolutely certain. You will experience it day by day. It is secured by your union with Christ and it is your confident expectation when you see Him face to face. Believe it. It's faith 
that enjoys that overcoming faith in the finished work of Christ. Strength, the word, and overcoming are what describes this intermediate stage of growth that John speaks of here. So look back on 2023. In this stage of spiritual growth that you're growing, is this the stage of spiritual growth that you are growing in? Are you, the, are you in the vivacious stage? Stage, you're, you're living on the word of God. You're beginning to enjoy your position in Christ. You're learning to say no to the world by faith and so on, like John has described. You're growing stronger in the word. Is the word increasingly abiding in you? Are you aware of the spiritual skirmishes, <clears throat> skirmishes in your life? Battles against specific sins, errors in thinking, attitudes, habits, and words. Are you, by the power of the word and the presence of the indwelling Christ through faith, overcoming the evil one in your life? He says here, you have overcome the evil one. In Christ, you have. And you now are learning to enjoy the result of that overcoming practically in your life day by day. I know we have so far to go, right, in our lives. And we still have many sins and struggles yet to deal with. But are you growing stronger in the word? If not, make this your prayerful pursuit in 2024. Where are you in your walk with the Lord? Are you in your infancy? They're, they're all wonderful phases of spiritual growth wrought by Christ. Infancy, maturity, vivacity, where are you? I want to give you some homework as we come to a conclusion. And you can look on the other side of your outline and see some questions that can help you with this homework. I want you to sit down this week, if you will, and prayerfully meditate on this particular text. Write down what, what spiritual stage of growth do you approximate right now. And prayerfully consider, write down how you've grown in the last year and how you would like to see God grow you in the next year. Keep the specifics that John has written to us about in these, in these stages of spiritual growth in mind. Maybe even make a list of specific areas where you need to grow through sin, in the truth, in certain doctrinal things that you, you're struggling with, that you know is making an effect upon your daily walk, maybe in some practical area, in, in your responsibility, in your ministry skill, whatever it is. Think about where God is at work in your life. Be specific. And then begin to collect Scripture that addresses that area specifically and thoroughly. And then read and study and meditate and then pray over those scriptures, asking the Holy Spirit to enable you to apply the, the, the truth of those scriptures to your heart, to your affections, and to your daily life. Maybe even then tell another brother or sister in Christ about it. Ask them to pray for you, give you any input, and even hold you accountable to grow by observation and question. And certainly trust in the gracious love of Christ to nurture you into growth. And remember this, above all, like John says, it is faith in Christ that overcomes the world. So rest in your good shepherd, because indeed it is he who will guide you through each stage of spiritual growth. Follow him.
He will take you all the way there. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, God has raised the good shepherd of the sheep from the dead so that he, through Christ, can equip us with everything good that we need to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight for his glory. Maybe you look back on this past year or even longer and, and, you're, and you're kind of thinking, I really don't recognize any spiritual growth as John has described here for us. I'm not seeing it. Is that you today? Please be honest in your own heart about that. I'm not seeing spiritual growth happening. Maybe, maybe even you see some regress in your thoughts, words, attitudes, and actions. Why is that? Let me suggest just a few reasons, just, just very quickly. One, it could be, and you need to ask yourself this and face this, this possibility, that it could be that you're not yet a true child of God. You see, God does not give birth to any stillborn children. You've heard that. Because if they don't eat and they don't grow, what's true of that child? They're not alive. Think on that. Are you growing in Christ? If you say, I, I haven't even, this isn't even on my radar, really. Or, no, I'm not. It's not really that important to me at all. Come to that question and ask yourself, am I alive spiritually? Please think on that. Because there's nothing more important than spiritual life. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but then loses his soul and has no life with Christ in eternity? I, I appeal to you. If that is your condition, you say, yep, I think you're right. I think I am not born of God. Then turn to Christ today. Is your heart compelled by that? Do you want eternal life? Do you want to be a child of God? Confess your sinfulness to Him. Tell Him you know you deserve His wrath. Tell Him you know that you are completely unable to save yourself, but that you want Christ to save you. You want His righteousness. You want His cross to be for you. And trust in His promise that He will save all who come to Him in repentance and faith. He will. He will save. He loves to save. Another reason might be because you are a child of God, but you have undealt with sin in your life. And that's stunting your growth. Now it's time to confess that sin and be done with it. 1 John 1, 7 through 2, 2 is your text. We confess our sins. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse. John indeed wrote these things to us so that we wouldn't abide in sin. We don't have to. We don't have to keep it covered. We can deal with it head on by the grace that God provides because we have a righteous advocate who is there to stand in the presence of God declaring us righteous and will make us righteous like himself. And he will always secure our forgiveness because he has died on the cross in our place. Or maybe you say, I don't see spiritual growth because maybe you're a child of God, but you've not been nourishing yourself in the word of God. Of course, you're going to be puny if you don't eat. 1 Peter 2 and verse 1 commands us to long for the pure milk of the word just like newborn infants. Time to eat. 
Come on, sometimes I remember our, our children when they were infants, and sometimes they were so sleepy, but they needed to eat, didn't they? So you, you stirred them up. You made them feel cold. You, you moved them around. You changed their position, and then they'd eat. Sometimes, as children of God, our hunger grows still. Time to wake it up. You won't grow unless you eat. You need the Word of God to feed your soul. Don't be passive about a lack of spiritual growth, dear ones. That would be a foolish and dangerous response to, to John's words. Deal with it. Seek out someone in our church family and leadership who can help you with this. And I'm certainly available to be able to help however I can. Spiritual growth is a work of Christ in your life. When you can see it, it is a great assurance to you that the life of Christ is within you. So rejoice, dear ones. Give thanks and excel still more. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we stand together? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, these are compelling words from the Apostle John. May we indeed take them to heart. Help all of us to evaluate under the scrutiny of your word. And may we know your grace to grow us well over this next year. And may we eat well in your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.